News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. Welcome to FAQ NYC. It's not New York Magazine, not The New Yorker. It's the New Yorkest thing you can put in your ear. I'm producer Alex Brooklyn, here with co-host and co-creator Queens Kid Ozzy Pabra. Hello. Veteran reporter who previously worked for Politico, WNYC, and a bunch of other places. Also joining us is Harry Siegel. He's a Brooklynite, an editor at the Daily Beast, and a columnist for the New York Daily News. Hello. We're all native New Yorkers, except for our third host, Fordham professor and political scientist, Christina Greer. I'm in Philadelphia in my sister's backyard. She's out of the city and will be calling in later in the show. There's been a lot said about the sorry state of the New York press, including layoffs at the news, and we're here to try each week to do our part, with your help, listeners, to ask the hard questions and try to work out what the FAQ is going on here. We spoke this week to John Liu. He's currently running for the uh, state Senate, and we talked about that race, his positions, his 2013 mayoral race, and the IDC. The Independent Democratic Conference. Can I just say, it was a great interview. The IDC, a bunch of turncoat Democrats up in Albany. They sound like a street gang. (laughs) Alec, that's kind of funny because the history of that IDC starts in 2011. They were a bunch of people who were elected as Democrats. They got to Albany and said, you know what? I sort of don't like some of my other colleagues. So I'm going to break away, create a new conference that's going to have a working relationship, if you could see the air quotes, with the Republicans who, as people know today, don't always agree with Democrats. So this breakaway group, it started out as five people, I think, four or five. It has grown over the years, and they largely shared power with Republicans in the state Senate. And what those Democrats got were some bigger offices little bit extra money, and they were able to come home and point to some projects they were able to fund and say, I brought home the bacon. Who were the ringleaders? There was a guy named Jeff Klein, who represents parts of the Bronx and Westchester. There was Diane Savino, Staten Island. More recently, Tony Avella, who joined them in 2014. Tony Avella is the current state senator that John Lee was running against. So it's been a rotating group of rogues who've gotten away with this weird power-sharing arrangement, Democrats who work with the Republicans to get their own stuff, because voters have been largely checked out. And there was a stalemate that was so bad in Albany, the New York Post literally sent clowns to Albany. New York Post. Clown, clown. New York Post. Clown was there. Albany continued its circus-like, circus-like clown. Clowning around today with Senate Democrats threatening to file an injunction to prevent Republicans from assuming power. The New York Post clown was there with reporters to see if the state Senate circus would open. Government had shut down. Things were grinding to a halt. In Washington, there was also gridlock where Obama couldn't get anything passed through a Republican-controlled Congress. And out of all of that, you had Andrew Cuomo rising to the governorship by making a promise not to make New York more democratic, but to make government work again. So the ethos that was in the air around the time the IDC was created was to have government function. It wasn't an ideological kind of purity test. Andrew Cuomo had proudly noted that he didn't run a political campaign. The idea at the time, in 2010, 2011, there was no talk about a progressive or or a political ideology. So that's sort of the history of the IDC. Crossing the aisle was a good thing, whereas now it's kind of like a betrayal. Exactly. 
So we got Chrissy Greer on the phone from a backyard in Philly to weigh in on Cuomo. When we're looking at Cuomo and New York state politics, I mean, the hyper-partisan train has been moving into the station for quite some time. And I think this particular governor has been able to hide behind the mantle of um, conciliatory compromise um, when he doesn't feel like being a progressive. It's easy to call yourself a progressive when you're surrounded by neoliberal Democrats. So, you know, I don't think Cuomo was ever a progressive. You know, we were, what, state number 17 to pass marriage equity? You know, we're not in the forefront of progressive issues. We come around, you know, we might be in the top third of the nation, but, you know, this isn't a governor who is, you know, he's not Gavin Newsom or someone like that. He labels himself progressive. When you surround yourself by more conservative Democrats, of course you seem like the radical progressives. But the problem is he has Democrats to the left of him who were essentially saying, this emperor has no clothes. Like, and if we scratch the surface of your record, it will show a moderate Democrat that always has his eye on, you know, what the rest of the nation is doing. So since 2008, the Democrats keep winning most of the seats in the state Senate, but they keep not being able to have a competent majority. So in 2008 and after clown issues there, after Elliot Spitzer and David Patterson humiliated themselves in different ways as, as governor, um, the idea of having competence and your shit together seemed very appealing. So we just interviewed John Liu, who literally biked in from Queens. We spoke to him about his 2013 mayoral race, which was undone by a corruption scandal, which ended with his campaign treasurer going to prison after an investigation about straw donations to the campaign. And what was interesting that he revealed was that federal prosecutors, according to John Liu, used that treasurer's immigration status as a green card holder while they were trying to get her to turn on him. For those of you who need a little background info on John Liu, in 2013, he was almost New York City's first Asian mayor. Instead, scandal struck, and his campaign lost out on $3.5 million in matching funds, leaving Liu, the most progressive candidate, without a chance. Bill de Blasio picked up most of his supporters, and one of John Liu's aides went to prison, Jenny Ho. Well, John Liu, mayoral hopeful, got yet another piece of bad news today. Uh, an aide of his, as well as a donor, found guilty of conspiracy of wire fraud. A lawyer for the Liu campaign, he called the mistakes minor transgressions committed because of language barriers rather than malfeasance. Many of Liu's supporters are Chinese speakers. Liu went from the city's second most powerful elected official with an ambitious future to teaching some college classes and moonlighting as a wise guy on New York One. In 2014, he went up against Tony Avella for a state Senate seat. He lost. It seemed like Liu's last act. And yet, he's back. How did you get here? Wait, first off, what are you wearing and how did you get here? I am, I do have clothes on, Harry, as you can see. <laughs> I biked in like I usually do. I didn't have enough time to take the subway. <laughs> Which seems like a great introduction to like the state of New York City and New York State. You know, we do have a problem with our transit system that I think it's incumbent upon Albany to fix, notwithstanding this longstanding feud between the mayor and the governor. There's a couple of questions I just want to get out of the way that relate to Albany. Just a couple? Just a couple. <laughs> okay. Uh, who are you supporting in the gubernatorial primary. Andrew Cuomo? I'm thinking Cynthia. about who I'm going to vote for. Still? What do you mean still? We've got more than six weeks to go. 
Cuomo up with $30 million ahead of the polls? Well, Cynthia then Nixon? I'm sure I will hear a lot from him. I know Andrew Cuomo very well. I know his record. I don't know enough about Cynthia Nixon other than, you know, from her TV stardom. Uh, but six weeks is a lot of time to find out more information and hear what the candidates have to say. What information might sway you? Know? Oh, my goodness. Information that any average voter should have. Information about the records, about the platform, the vision for the future. And also, you know, how credible these candidates are and what they bring to the table overall. Uh, there's also an attorney general race, obviously. Yes. Any preferred candidates there? Uh, I am, I've got six weeks to make that same decision. I think a lot of the candidates for attorney general are very good. I'm particularly close to Tish James. She is one of the many elected officials that I've worked with, but the only one that I have never, ever disagreed with, uh, with on anything. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, so, so Tish, you know, now she's hooked up to some extent with the, uh, with the governor. It's sort of an interesting set of compromises. I think Tish can speak for herself. I don't think she's compromised anything. The worst part of running for office, anybody will tell you, myself included, is raising money. Some people don't like the look of it or the smell of it. In our world today, it has to be done. Now, if I could uh, achieve some of my platforms, if I got to the state Senate, for example, campaign finance reform, I think we can take the money interests or certainly the special interests out of the money game. So can you talk about your proposal? And can you also talk about Mayor de Blasio's new proposal for the uh, city charter to reform fundraising here, which is, you know, a topic you have some experience with? <laughs> I have experience with, I think the mayor has a lot more experience with. We, we have a pretty good system in New York City. I, I think both of you are aware that I have had my uh, difficulties with it. And I think in some ways, uh, certainly in the past, hopefully not in the future, it has been somewhat capricious and un unlevel. Uh, but at the state level, we can certainly use a public finance system. So it's something that I would support if I was in the state legislature, a reform of campaign finance rules, including public funds, including the elimination of this ridiculous LLC loophole, among other things, more, uh, uh, you know, reasonable caps to campaign contributions. One of the things that a lot of progressive uh, Democrats are pledging not to take corporate funding or, or just sort of disassociate themselves from that type of pool of money. Bernie Sanders! I am very proud to be the only candidate up here who does not have a super PAC. A super PAC? Super, super PAC. It's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The party, they think uh, fundraising is a proxy for winning. The New York governor has reportedly raised $5 million for his re-election campaign over the last six months. Two Cuomo's campaign insists the money he's received from donors with business before the state does not influence his actions. Is, is that something you're doing currently? Uh, I, I'm not taking money from any corporate right. PACs. Okay. Uh, I, I certainly am proud to accept certain kinds of PACs. For example, union PACs. There are some environmental groups that have very good issues that they're pushing through the formation of a PAC. Uh, I, I have taken some company funds, but they're mainly from small companies as opposed to big corporations. Yeah. And and. With respect to, to your history with the Campaign Finance Board and, and what happened in 2013, I'm wondering, just looking back on it, or do you think, had that not happened, you would be mayor today? Problem in 2013 was a campaign finance scandal. Scandal was on the part of what the Campaign Finance Board did and what the U.S. Attorney's Office did. Uh, it certainly derailed my campaign for mayor. Years of so-called investigations, innuendos, insinuations, and at the end of the day, 
I, I was proud in 2013, as I am proud now to say I'm the th most thoroughly investigated candidate in the history of New York City without ever being accused of anything. Whether I would have won or not, uh, I certainly think that it would have been a fair fight had I not been capriciously cut out of the public funds. Three and a half million dollars taken away five weeks before the election. That hurt. One person that, that was caught up in that scandal was, was Jenny Ho, the, the treasurer. Yes. Who went to prison and I think has just been released. And I think there was a story recently about uh, her not facing deportation, I think, in response to this. I'm just wondering if, if you've spoken to her recently and just what that kind of conversation or relationship is like. First of all, it's been a long time now. Right. And Jenny is doing very well. I had dinner with her and her new husband a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. Um, look, she... She really is a very, very honest, very hardworking young person, and she continues to, to be. Uh, he, she has a great career going now. Um, but what they did to her, you know, she was the only one on my campaign team who was not a citizen. She was a green card holder, a permanent resident. And she, they held that over her head to no end. I will tell you that after the fact now, now that I know. How, how did they do that? Directly or did they imply? Directly. They used it to threaten her left and right, uh, intimidated her and her family. Um, but you know what? That's done. It's history. It's long gone. Uh, she has suffered through it. But I think for going forward, it has made me more cognizant of what's happening in this country, what's happening in this state, and how things can be fixed. Last question about that, I think. Just do you, do you have any uh, survivor's guilt in the course of being over? I have tremendous guilt over what happened to Jenny personally. I mean, she didn't deserve any of this. Absolutely not. But could we have done anything different? She was ultimately caught up in, uh, in my campaign accepting illegal contributions. The problem was that that's a true statement. My campaign did accept illegal contributions. But how were they accepted? Well, I had a fundraiser with this person who claimed to be a big supporter. He brought 20 of his friends. I had dinner with them. I took pictures with them. I saw them write out their checks, fill out their contribution forms. And then six months later, I find out that guy who was supporting my campaign turned out to be an undercover FBI agent. If they had done this, this sting operation with any campaign, they would have gotten the exact same results. Any campaign would have taken those quote, illegal contributions. How would, how was any of us supposed to know about that? But before that sort of changed the landscape of the race, going into it, the, the landscape of it was basically further to the left than de Blasio. He was sort of not as far as long as you are on stop and frisk and many other issues. I think congestion pricing also. So you were the progressive left candidate. Unabashedly, you were out there. But today's landscape, it seems to be that everyone is going to that far progressive left area that you had occupied years earlier. What changed? I wasn't thinking of that I was occupying any space right. to the left, to the right, or however, uh, in comparison with where other people were standing. My ideas were pretty simple. I mean, I was absolutely, I have always been absolutely dead set against stop and frisk. Uh, de Blasio very clearly pointed out that I was irresponsible in that position early on in the 2013 set of, you know, dozens of mayoral forums. Uh, I'm glad he eventually changed his mind and came to see uh, that uh, actually when you stop, stop and frisk, you actually start bringing communities and police together. And when they work together, everybody is safer. I'm very proud that he continues to use that line to this day. You're currently running for a state Senate seat in Queens, 
it includes Flushing, Bayside. That's the neighborhood. Whitestone, College Point, Hollis Hills, Jamaica Estates, Bell Rose, Queens Village, Floral Park, New Hyde Park, Little Neck, and Douglaston. A man that knows the district. <laughs> um, and Whitestone. I think you said Whitestone. Yes. You, you had run for this seat in 2014. You lost by 800 and something votes. But, uh, it was about 5%. Right. It, was, it, was, it was very close. What is different today so compared this to is, 2014? 2018, me against Tony Avella, it's a rematch of 2014, four years ago. Uh, four years ago, I ran against him because I, I was really, you know, people, people say lots of Democrats encouraged me to run. And that certainly was true. But in the end, the reason I ran was because I was really upset at what Avella did. We we just we worked so hard as Democrats, Queens Democrats, and Democrats from beyond Queens, to take this district, this seat from a long-standing Republican, Frank Padavan. Fr from Frank Padavan, we worked in 2010 to get that seat from him. I mean, Tony's not always been the most popular guy, but we all worked hard behind him to get him elected and take that seat, make that seat Democrat once again. If you could take us through that history real briefly. Well, 2011, you referred to, that is when this ridiculous IDC cabal was created. He was not part of the original group, but he, you know, he certainly saw the fruits that they were getting, so decided to join them at the, a couple of years later, at the beginning of 2014. It was a betrayal, personally, to a lot of people, because we worked so hard to get him, get get that seat into Democratic hands so we could start controlling the agenda in, in Albany, and not for power or control's sake, but to pass legislation that was long overdue. And so now he joins this IDC and, and again, gives even more power to the Republican control and therefore stymies even more legislation. And so I took a shot at him in 2014. Things are vastly different this year. You know, I, the main reason I was running back then because he, he became part of the IDC empowering Republicans, even though we elected him as a Democrat. He's a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. If you look at the big issues, we don't. there's not a whole lot of daylight between our position, but it's the intent and it's the ultimate result of our actions. And he becoming an IDC member, that's a big deal. Now, in 2018, people really understand what happened with this IDC and how these handful of Democrats truly gave control to the Republicans that then blocked legislation time and time again that we need in the state of New York. And, and, and what specific legislation is that? How much time do we have? Uh, I will name everything from education funding to uh, immigrant protection, to uh, child welfare, to housing, to healthcare, a very big picture bill. Uh, a woman's right to choose. In the state of New York, a woman does not have the legal right to choose. It's just been almost accidental that people that they've been able to do it, but the laws of New York City have not allowed that. The Reproductive Health Act is an is a piece of legislation that's been passed every year by the by the assembly. But you know, you in New York, you need both houses to pass a piece of legislation. The Senate has blocked it from ever coming to a vote. And Avella says proudly, "Oh, he supports a woman's right to choose." But by joining the IDC and empowering the Republicans, he ensures, he knows that the Republican leadership that he's given control of the, of the Senate to will never even allow a vote to be taken on the Reproductive Health Act. It is not a small thing to, to understand what this, what this IDC has done and how much they have obstructed progress in this, Did in this state. So, so, so explain, explain for people who aren't already woke to this, how do you end up with a big group of Democrats 
who have democratic principles, who just end up caucusing with Republicans so that they control the state Senate when the majority controls everything. So you understand this? Maybe I understand I, it, but, I, but it's sort of, it's sort of my yeah, problem. Is, oh. it just, is it just personal enrichment and power? What's the deal? It, it is the ultimate backroom deal. That's exactly what it is. The, the, these renegade Democrats couldn't get what they wanted by working with their fellow Democrats. So, so they decided, you know what? Let's sell ourselves out. Let's get these perks. Let's get bigger budgets for the office. Let's get committee, uh, committee chairships, which then come with personal stipends. And in doing so, giving control to the Republicans, that Republicans have been in the minority. And the only reason that they've been able to control the body is by giving, con- uh, is by giving perks to the Democrats, the, these IDC members, who then gave control to the Republicans. But, but, but real talk, Cuomo blessed that arrangement for a long time. And when he returned the IDC members to the Democratic Party this year, it was part of a deal in which electeds and labor were not going to run against them. And then after Ocasio-Cortez's win, Corey Johnson said, I- I'm speaking the truth now. Now I'm brave. <laughs> Cuomo says he's had absolutely nothing to do with the inner workings of the state Senate. And so how could he have possibly brought them back? So as far as I'm concerned, the Senate is a self-governing body. The senators make their own choices. The IDC decided to give the power to the Republicans, especially Avella. He says, I'm for a woman's right to choose. But then he does this thing with the IDC that ensures that that bill, the Reproductive Health Act, never sees the light of day. You can sponsor anything the hell you want, but your actions make made sure that the bills that you sponsored will never see the light of day. And that is the ultimate duplicity. You take Cuomo at his word that he had nothing to do with bringing the IDC together. And Well, for, for seven years, he said that he can't interfere in the, in the workings of the state Senate. So I'm, you know, I, I was shocked to, to hear that now he's also all of a sudden brought the Senate together. I, I didn't think that he had that kind of sway. <laughs> He's 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 a he's a swayful guy, if, if if that's a word. If there is this sort of litmus test that you have to be more pure and dedicated to your principles and sort of not compromising, does that make it harder to work across the aisle, or do you even need to do that at all? If there's a concern that grassroots activists are judging people not based on what they accomplish or legislation that they pass, but but based on how pure they are to their to, to their principles and ideology does it sort of run in conflict at all no to, to the... I, I don't think it does okay. at all i think that the the grassroots that you mentioned the public in general they're looking for results they don't care how you get there they're looking for the results but i think for too long people even in my party are thinking well let's settle for what we can get versus going to try to get what we should have and we shouldn't give up the battle so easily. We should fight for the things that we need. There are s- some things that are considered controversial nowadays, right? For example, uh, legalizing marijuana. That's a big issue that, that will affect lots of people and communities that are being c- uh, uh, mistreated disparately today will benefit if we finally reform those laws and get those laws into the 21st century. That's just one example of so many other things. But we got it. We got to, speaking of results, hit you fast on a couple of things here. Quite not ask you fast on a couple of things here. So I'm a proud Stuyvesant dropout. (laughs) Where'd you go to high school? I went to the Bronx High School of Science and I I did graduate. Congrats. (laughs) Thank Um, you. (laughs) So de Blasio has this plan to, uh, he says, to desegregate the elite schools. Part of it he could do himself, but he isn't. 
a lot of it actually needs legislation uh, to change the uh, to change the emission standards for Stuyvesant and Bronx Science and Brooklyn Tech. Where do you stand on uh, on his proposal his, his and proposal on, on what Albany needs? His proposal is a joke. It's one of those things that uh, another clear example of how he hasn't thrown out, throw out the issue. It was a knee-jerk reaction to a report that was very disturbing around that time that, that talked about how the diversity at the specialized high schools has continued to, uh, to shrink in recent years, uh, which it's a phenomenon that's been happening over, de- over decades at this point. Uh, it's, the reason it's a joke is because, number one, he, he, he proposed something that he knew would require state legislation. And the state Senate was never going to act on this. So it was just almost like, let's throw it out there. I checked the box. I addressed that issue, that report. Let's move on. He never consulted a big stakeholder in this issue, the Asian American didn't speak to a single person. And so Asian Americans are felt, feel completely left out of the process for, you know, uh, for a system that has worked well for Asian Americans on the, on the most part and a system that Asian Americans had nothing to do with creating but succeeded in. And so now uh, Asian Americans rightfully feel that, that the rug is being yanked out from un- under us. The other joke of this is that de Blasio has been criticized for a long time that for the fact that he made part of his campaign platform uh, uh, the need to desegregate our schools in general. And rather than coming up with a real plan to desegregate the schools, he now says, well, let's just look at these, you know, these three high schools that contain a total of maybe, you know, like, what is it, 5,000, maybe 10,000, less than about 1%, 1% of the schools, of the public school population in New York City. Where, what about the rest of the segregation that is clearly evident in almost all the schools throughout New York City? So what we really need to do, if he was serious about desegregation, then he should do something about all the preceding grades. That was, like I said, it was a joke. John, but, but one question about that is you're running for the state Senate, right? And the, state's, the, the state legislature is who passed the law in the 60s under Lindsay that says these three schools – there's eight schools now that's just the SHSAT, and de Blasio said he's wanted to desegregate them. He told me that in 2012, right? And then again in 2013 when he was running for office, he's never done a damn thing about those five other schools. But those three, Stuyvesant, Rock Science, Brooklyn Tech, would actually need a change in the law. So understanding that that is the tip of some iceberg, would you support that change in the law so that the, the city could decide for itself what the emissions are for those three schools? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't as part of this ridiculous proposal put forth by de Blasio. The reality is that we do have a, desegre- a, a segregation problem. The reality is that it is a problem that the entering class at your almost alma mater, 10 out of 900 students are African-American. But is the reason for that simply because of the test? There are many other factors, and if we want to work to, if we want to figure out how to desegregate our schools, let's get everybody at the table, city city officials as well as state legislators, hopefully myself included, and members of the community, teachers, principals, and figure out how to move to to move forward. You're running at Sony Vela. IDC is one of the big issues. Do you expect to get the New York Times endorsement? In this race, I, I, you know, the New York Times has never been a fan of mine, and I certainly do not like a lot of things they do. I think there's a fair amount of arrogance, at least on some, on the part of some of the members of that uh, esteemed publication, that would probably make the great lady roll in her grave right now. But <laughs> did I just say that? I think you did. Should we keep well, it? Well, you guys, no, you guys are going to edit this anyway. So <laughs> 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 we're definitely using that. <laughs> 
FAQ. Visit us at FAQ.NYC. Whoa, <laughs> relax. <laughs> People need to know that it's not .com. Visit us at FAQ.NYC. Visit us. You know us. what's good for you. Thanks for listening. I, I, I'd rather go with a more receptive okay. tone like that, but you can also threaten them news. out. News. <laughs> news. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. We recorded today's episode at GSI Studios. FAQ NYC is coming to you thanks to a grant from Civil, the blockchain organization that is rewriting the rules of journalism. They're sponsoring us and other newsrooms like the very popular ZigZag podcast. Listen to them to find out more about what the blockchain is and how it works for you and journalism.